Hello, everyone, and welcome in to DC Talks Rocks. Took a week off there from Talking Rocks, and I got to tell you, it felt good. <laughs> Sorry, folks, but as I sent out on Twitter, it had been a long, long time. It had been eight plus years, probably a few more than that. I'd have to think real hard back to my early days at Purple Row, but I haven't been able to go four or five days, let alone a full, you know, Sunday to Sunday without really a, a Friday through the following Sunday without writing or, or talking about the Rockies. And I still tweeted some and we talked in the discord about them. I'm never going to be able to fully escape them for that long. But one of the things I haven't talked about a ton here on, you know, this new venture on the Patreon or publicly or even even privately in general or even maybe realized as it was happening was how much the grind had gotten to me, how much the lack of any off time. I had zero vacation days at the old job. Now there were, you know, and I mean that officially, there were plenty of days where I didn't really do anything and I would take the day off because there was nothing going on and I had gotten my work done. That happened regularly, but this is three or four days in a row. Never, not once during six years there. And, you know, and, and the, the uh, that it just occupies your mind that you really have a hard time. You know, last night would have been very, very different for me. The breaking of the John Gray news, which is what I'm going to get into and talk mostly about here on this episode. But I would have had to put down dinner. I would have had to move away from the conversation I was having with my fiance. I would have had to stop some of the fun still moving in stuff we were doing, like putting the desk together or hanging up paintings or whatever. And I would have had to go immediately to Twitter and argue with people about it or do the podcast right away or write an article right away. One of those three things right away. I, I would always have to do it. And you know what I did last night when I saw the John Gray news? I tweeted, well, that sucks. And I went back to watching the British Bake Off and, and doing what I was doing here, knowing I could talk to you all about it in the morning and that I can be on my own schedule with these things now. And it doesn't have to occupy my mind space 95% of the time, or that I don't have to cede everything else in my life to it. And that's really what I'd been doing for so long without even necessarily realizing it. Everything in my life was coming in second to this news that a lot of people probably knew was coming now and, and is frustrating. I'm going to get into the John Gray stuff very specifically, but just wanted to start with that point of thank you all for allowing me the space there, the the little mini vacation to just not even think too hard about the Rockies or what they're doing and to just let it let my mind focus on other things. And, and until getting out on the other side of that week, I don't think I realized how much I needed that and how much just it, it had gotten really twisted up in there. And, uh, you know, I, I wish myself or maybe others might have recognized that sooner that you, you can't spend that much time, especially all by yourself for the most part, trying to cover a 162-game season and an organization that does as many strange and hard-to-explain things as this, make it my job to constantly be doing those things with no off time. Um, yeah, that was just, it was rough. So anyway, refreshed, in the new house, feeling great, except for Rocky's done screwed up, didn't they? This is bad, and I had written about it ahead of time. I had staked out the ground ahead of time, and this is actually something I do regularly, and so it's part of the re reason why I'm always a little bit bemused when people are, 
I don't know, frustrated that I defend the Rockies or whatever, because I usually set out the parameters ahead of time. I say, if they do X, Y, and Z, I think that'll be good. But if they do A, B, or C, I think that'll be really bad. And then they end up doing one of the X, Y, or Z, but other people don't like it and expect me to get upset with them. Th- that's a little bit different, right? But I had staked out the ground here very clearly. The Rockies needed to figure out a way to get this done, and they did not. It's bad on several levels. I'll do all the bad, and I'll get. There are a couple of silver linings. There's always arguments on the other side here. This isn't human rights or, you know, absolute laws of physics, logic, or mathematics. There are always arguments on the other side for why this went down. So I'll try to end on the silver linings, but let's go through most of the stuff that you already know, which is bad about this. The biggest one that people are pointing out, you know, and, and a lot of people have been pointing out along the way, but it, I do feel like it's only really fair to bring it up now that it has gone down this way is, okay, why didn't they trade him at the deadline? There's always going to be the question of what were they actually offered? What could they have gotten for half a season of John Gray? And would that really have moved the, the needle that much for the future of this franchise? My guess is no. At the same time, it's an unforced error. That's another one of my favorite phrases, right, in sports, unforced errors. There's just no reason to make that mistake unless you're, that's the thing, you, they needed to be confident that they were going to be able to bring him back, and they weren't or didn't work hard enough to make that a reality. They offered him what I feel like is a fair deal for three years at roughly 13 mil a year, but he's going to get four years at roughly 14 mil a year. Now, is John Gray worth that in a vacuum? Maybe not. You could make a very strong argument that 14 mil a year is more than John Gray has ever really been worth other than, you know, in 2017, he was probably worth about that much. And, you know, some people may think, well, you get him away from Coors Field and all of that. Will he be better? Maybe, maybe not. Everyone listening to this knows he's been much better at Coors Field, especially as of late. But still, you're looking at a guy who's got two seasons of his career, 2017 and 2018, where he was a well above average pitcher, right? And the rest of the time, he's been average or below. And so that's one way of looking at it and saying, He's not worth that $14 million, but he is to the Rockies. Now, it's going to be weird because I'm not sure he's going to be worth that to the Rangers. It's an interesting deal for them. You know, if, if I was on the Rangers beat, I would be a little bit eyebrow-raising at this deal as well. John's going to turn 30 this next year. He's coming off a, a rougher season, especially the end of this 2021 campaign was not good for him. He wasn't healthy in 2020 at all. And, you know, a four-year deal. Now, I would not have gotten hung up on the fourth year, and I think that's what screwed the Rockies here, and I think that was very silly. And if he's worth $13 million a year to you, then he's worth $14 million a year to you. Everything I just said could be really said about the same thing, right? He's getting paid a bit more based on his good stuff 
and his peripherals, the strikeout numbers in particular, and probably the belief that a more stable environment will lead to better numbers. Or maybe they think their pitching coaches will be able to get more out of him. That's always one of those things, too, that people think, well, they'll be able to develop pitching better than the Rockies. The teams haven't had as much success at that as they think they're going to. You know, see Tyler Chatwood, for example. A lot of the same premises were in place there when the Cubs gave a similar size deal to Tyler Chatwood, who was not worth it. But as we were talking about in the Discord last night, the problem for me is twofold. One, the Rockies have had such a difficult time finding guys who can succeed at Coors Field. And no matter what you do, as the Rockies are going to play half your games at Coors Field, and you have to find a way to pitch there. And John Gray had better than anybody other than Jorge De La Rosa. Now, Antonio Sensatella is starting to build that as well. And so I'll get back to the, you know, maybe that's part of what they're thinking here, a silver lining at the end. That said, you went through the work to make this guy. You drafted and developed somebody who figured out how to pitch at Coors Field and really didn't price himself so far out of your range. Look, if John had gotten a $20 million a year deal or whatever, you go, congratulations, good on you, or even 16 or 17. You go, uh, that's a bit much for this team to spend on a pitcher in his 30s regardless. But, again, we're talking about a very small difference that they really coulda, shoulda, woulda been able to match, specifically for the guy's ability to pitch at Coors Field with his... You know, again, it depends on how you count Sensatella. He's either in second or third place in terms of, you know, numbers, ERA, ERA plus, wins, losses, those kinds of things at Coors behind De La Rosa, who's the all-time king, and no one's ever going to approach those kinds of numbers. But that's super frustrating because you don't know if and when and where the next guy is going to come from, right? So. That's the other thing. Now, the Rockies, it, these two things really work in tandem because the other big thing that they did here was that they created a, a roster need where there wasn't one before, right? Now they need to replace John Gray. They may be thinking, hey, we'll do it with a combination of Peter Lambert and Ryan Rollison and I guess Chichi Gonzalez, but that's not, in my mind, a good strategy at all. It's way too much pressure to put on Lambert and Rollison, who are both rookies. I think Lambert's still technically a rookie. No, Lambert's probably exhausted rookie eligibility, but still, more or less, a rookie. And Gigi Gonzalez, who we know just doesn't have a high ceiling, and even as of late, his floor hasn't been especially great either. So now they've got to go out and get somebody? And they can probably find, and there was somebody in the Discord last night, and, and I agree with this sentiment, you can find quality pitchers with career numbers, at least in terms of you know ERA plus and stuff like that that are similar to John Gray's, and probably get two of them for the price of what the Rangers are giving John Gray. The question is, are those guys going to be what they were elsewhere at Coors Field? That has been the 30-year-long problem with this team you have to pitch to win and you have to pitch at Coors to win as a member of the Rockies and if you go out and get Mike Hampton and Denny Nagel or Jeremy Guthrie or whomever else you can name Kyle Kendrick there have been plenty of guys who've had 
anywhere from good to great numbers and all of the peripherals that suggest they should be able to succeed at Coors Field who come here and get wrecked, both literally and then eventually mentally, right? After a while, especially for guys like Brian Shaw, you know, Jake McGee, Wade Davis, all those guys, it becomes a why doesn't my stuff move the way it's supposed to? Nothing ends up where it's supposed to, or the kind of contact that I used to give up that would lead to a, a weak fly ball out is now going for a double or a home run or whatever else it is. They lose that mental battle. And now whoever, whether it's Rollison or Lambert or somebody you're bringing in as a veteran from the outside with good numbers who could maybe get us all excited all over again, Whoever you bring in, you are starting at ground zero with the mental battle that is Coors Field. Right? Unless I could think, I don't know, is Tyler Anderson a free agent? You know, I guess, I guess there, there's theoretically, could they go get, I'm trying to think. But Tyler Chatwood, I mentioned him earlier, he's done, right? And that's tough because it's just eaten up and spit out so many good pitchers over the years that you don't know what to do. And this completely shifts how confident I'm going to be one way or the other in predicting how well the Rockies will do next season. Even if they have a couple of huge free agent signings of position players or other pitchers or the bullpen, there's going to be this big question mark in the rotation, which is the most important thing. I feel great about Marquez. I feel good to great about Freeland. I feel good to great about Sensatella. I feel pretty good and am ready to feel great about Austin Gomber. So there gives you four guys. And then I've got this giant question mark. But the second somebody gets hurt or has to miss a couple of starts for whatever reason or just get, goes into a bad stretch, for whatever reason, if there's a sophomore slump for Gomber, well, now you're down to three starting pitchers that you can count on, and you can be a terrible team with only three starting pitchers that you count on. You can be a decent one if the rest of the team is great. But what kept the Rockies heads above water, what kept them from being a terrible team in 2021, was that all five starting pitchers were solid. And now they've created this problem, and we just don't know who that fifth guy is going to be. Is it possible they go out and get somebody or just promote somebody who fills in at an ERA plus of 100 or better? Is it even possible that whoever that person is has a better season in 2022 than John Gray at a 14th of the cost? Yes, that is possible. It's just extraordinarily risky, and it's a problem they created for themselves that they didn't have to create. Now, again, the suggestion that the contract was on the table to pay him 13 mil a year makes me think, okay, well, they're probably going to go out, as they normally do, and, and give that money to somebody else. Think of uh, the situation when they offered, for those of you that remember this, Jonathan LaCroix a contract. He turned him down. They went like the next day and signed Chris Iannetta, right? I suspect the Rockies will spend that money they were planning on spending on John Gray, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of it does go to another veteran starting pitcher. Maybe, I mean, there aren't young guys on the free market. You don't get young, interesting, you know, potential, the next Austin Gomber or whatever. You'd have to trade for that, which that maybe they'll get more involved in the trade market as well. So here's the silver linings part of it, right? Here's my best job. 
And it's not to excuse the decision. This is straight up, and, and I'll say this, this might be a slightly longer episode, because I, I got into this a little bit with some people too. Yes, I know that I often defend what the Rockies do, and I think it's actually important to do that. I think that's just part of journalism, and it's weird to me that a lot of people don't, but that's a whole other question. But I just think there's a separation between this is a very bad move and a thing that they did terribly and how many people seem to always want to make that about therefore they're the worst franchise in baseball or they don't know what they're doing or Bill Schmidt's a terrible GM. Like in my mind, Bill Schmidt has done three or four really good things and one kind of in between thing being the Trevor Story situation. I'm still in between how he handled that and one pretty bad thing here with the John Gray. Right, this is bad. It's unequivocally bad. They should have either traded him or signed him to let him walk for nothing and for not that much more than what you offered him when he means so much more not only to your franchise but also just to your roster construction than he would to anyone else. And then that's before I even get into all the personality stuff and him becoming one of the greatest pitchers in Rockies history, how great he is in the community, how great he is with media and fans and and, and in the locker room and all of that stuff. You, you let all of that happen and it's just bad i don't have to defend any of that but that doesn't mean all this extra stuff that people seem to always want to take it to and this is where this is where i get my in trouble all the time right i mean bill schmidt doesn't know what he's doing doesn't mean the guy should be fired immediately or the rockies are a joke of a franchise or they're the joke of a franchise or the absolute worst franchise in all of baseball because they let john gray walk Come on. I mean, look around the landscape of baseball. I I saw some people, non-Rockies fans all over the nation are a bit confused right now. Part of that is their own lack of knowledge and education about ERA Plus and what John has meant to the scene. But I've seen plenty of Rockies fans going, what is this? This guy hasn't been that great. Now, he has. He's He's been better than people realize. But when you look at some of the raw numbers, you go, yeah, this really is not a franchise torpedoing decision, right? It's just a bad one. It's just a bad move. They created a problem, and now they have to solve that problem. I really wish they hadn't done it. And y'all know that on both a personal and professional level, I really wish they hadn't done this. But they did. So let's talk about what they might be thinking here. What is some of the confidence? One thing I can think of particularly looking over at Austin Gomber, is that maybe they think they've figured out a formula, a type, or a development strategy. They see that it's not just great that Freeland and Marquez and Senzatella and now Gomber have all been handling Coors Field better. So maybe they're thinking, hey, this is an us thing, not just a John Gray thing. And Quite frankly, Gray has not been good on the road for the last couple of years, and maybe that's something they think they can improve upon if they bring in either, again, some veteran pitcher that they can then take him to their Daryl Scott, Mark Wiley school of thought, wherever they took Austin Gomber, and recreate that kind of success, right? We saw how, how good Gomber was at Coors Field in his first year. Now, that's a small-ass sample size to think that you've figured that out with, with just Gomber. Now, you look over at Senzatella, sure. Marquez has 
reverse splits, or they're, they're splits that would make sense to most people. That is, he pitches better away from Coors Field, but not by an extreme fashion. And that's actually been true of Freeland as well over the course of his career. He's had individual seasons, though, where he's pitched better at home, including, of course, his best one. Right? So do the Rockies believe that they can, for half the cost, get a pitcher who can recreate John Gray's 107 career ERA plus. That's not that unreasonable. When you think of it that way, again, divorcing it from the decision of then trade the dude or or sign him for and he's worth more than you and, and it isn't the comfort of mind just knowing that he can do it instead of hoping he can do it. Worth the extra five or six million that you know than paying one of these other people. Sure. This is an absolute risk. That said, you still got to look forward and say, if they can do this, they will deserve credit for it, whether it's signing a guy or if Lambert or Rollison can essentially give them a 107 ERA plus again. And now here I'm, I'm doing it again, right? I'm carving out my ground moving forward for how harsh I will or won't be on the Rockies based on what happens, which I think is fair, rather than just waiting for things to happen and, and then flailing in the wind at how terrible everything is. If they can go and get or have a guy who can give them an above-average ERA plus next year and pitch well at Coors Field, you'll have to tip your cap and give them credit for doing that at less cost, especially if they manage to then spend whatever savings they get from not paying Gray $14 million. Let's say they go and spend $7 million on a starter who does what I just said, right? A veteran starter who comes in and gives them a 106 ERA plus over 150 plus innings next year. And then you just got to go, well, hey, shoot, not the way I would have done it. We've all got a bigger emotional attachment to John Gray, but they replaced his production at half the cost. And then if they spend the other $7 million on a bullpen that they weren't going to be able to get before, and they fixed their bullpen woes, and now all of a sudden we're looking at a team that on paper could win 84, 85 games just on the strength of their pitching. Now, again, I won't know that going into the year because I won't know what new guy can do. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Unless they, and you don't get, you know, it looks like Max Scherzer's going to the Mets, you know, Justin Verlander's 40-something years old. Those kinds of things, you're, you're not getting that guy. You're not getting a top 10 pitcher in baseball. You can't afford a top 10 pitcher in baseball. And so, yeah, there's no way to know that the guy coming in can do it. But despite history suggesting he probably won't be able to, you've got a guy in Austin Gomber right there showing you that, like, yeah, but history doesn't really matter. Everyone's an individual, and at some point you come in and you do the job or you don't. We're going to find out. Like I said, very bad move, uh, really going back to the trade deadline in every way, but it doesn't mean that the end result will be epic disaster for the Rockies. They just, uh, it's just a bad, it's bad to create a roster need in your most important area of the roster. And that he wanted to stay, that there was a pitcher who wanted to be at Coors Field. Uh, you know, now what they do next really, really has to work out in their favor. Otherwise, there's no, there's nothing to do other than dunk on them all day for 
a completely unforced error. You know, they they got to spend that money now, and on something good that makes sense and and helps them win, and you know, probably spread it out throughout the rest of the roster. And uh, you know, as always. I'm going to take a look at what's done. I'm going to look at the rosters and compare at the end of the off seasons. Another thing I think people get too carried away with is how many things did the team do that made you mad or how many things did the team do that made you excited? And that's who's going to be good next year. But the San Diego Padres prove year in and year out that that is not what makes teams good or not. Being excited that they're making good moves or being mad that they're making bad moves doesn't always translate to wins and losses. You got to be more honest about what's actually on the roster. And the re-signing of Sensatella and CJ Crone are still good moves and some of these other things. So we'll find out what happens. A bad one. Bad day for the Rockies. Uh, bad day for Rockies fans. No way around that for sure. Just brutal. Absolutely brutal. They got to work on fixing this. They got to go right back to it right now. And it's going to be hard to do because the CBA is about to expire. And we're in for a long, long battle over this nonsense. So I'll break that down for you on the next one. Sorry about the crap news, everybody. Appreciate you all. Uh, I know you're going to keep watching in with this team and seeing what they do and, and finding out. I know it's brutal. I know it's heartbreaking. I know you all need a break sometimes, too. I needed a break. You all need a break. Feel free to take them. Come hang out. We'll talk about some nerdy stuff. We'll do other sports. Uh, God, the Avs and Nuggets are having rough seasons too, right? Denver Denver sports are in a rough place. Do the Broncos still play? I don't know. But yeah, yeah, bad one. No way around it. Wish I could throw a little more sunshine on it for you all than that one, but this one just isn't good. Thank you all for listening in. I'll be around, not necessarily immediately, but I'll always be around to talk about rocky stuff when it happens. You know I can't quit you. Appreciate you all for being absolutely awesome out there. I promise to continue being absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.